0: listen, we're getting into uh, the pros of the story of, of Joseph this morning again, and we're kind of following and tracking with, uh, with what is a really great uh, outcome in terms of Joseph's life, which has been kind of difficult up to this point, point. and so one of the things I wanted to do, cueing in on the very first phrase of, uh, of, of verse 1 of chapter 41, as that's what we're starting this morning. It says, when two full years had passed. Now, it occurred to me to ask the question, how long has it been? How much time has passed from the time when Joseph first had that dream that he had? Remember, way back when he was a kid, he had this dream that God had presented him with, and who remembers what the dream was? Remember what the dream was? This was several chapters ago. I, know. I was asking a lot to remember those Yeah, do you remember what it was? Yeah, the sheaves of grain, remember that? And that and that his sheaves and the brothers' sheaves, remember that? And then and then that his, that the brothers' sheaves of grain would bow down to his sheaves of grain. Okay? So what I put up on the board is a is a uh, There's a little bit of graphic here which might look familiar to some of you. This this shape is a universal shape that we use when we're helping people work through grief. So those of you, for example, that have gone to our grief workshop that we have every year around November is that this is the graphic that we use because what it illustrates is, is that in terms of grief is that there's a loss that someone experiences and when that loss hits them, then there's a kind of a spiraling that the person goes down into in terms of dealing with the realities of that loss. So everything that is before the loss is like normal, and then all of a sudden you plummet and can plummet into a spiral of depression, or I often call it a dip um, of, of emotion and loss of energy, and then what happens over time is there's kind of a process of getting to the point where the reality now has sunk in, and you're making the new adjustments, and you're you're living with with the loss that has occurred, and so it's a form of kind of acceptance is a word that often is used in in uh, in, in Greek work, um, but it's not necessarily that you're happy with the new uh, reality, but it's just that you have come to terms with it. Okay, but I'm using this. Um, I'm using this graphic today to have us think about the pathway to the culmination of the promise. So, the promise that was given to Joseph was in the form of that dream. Now, it wasn't spoken in the sense of God came to him and said, here's how it's going to be for you. It wasn't that. But the, the dream itself that he had was a form of a promise that here's how it's going to be in the future, right? And so then what happens with the promise, there's a pathway to some form of culmination of that that promise or the culmination of that dream. What's often interesting to me is how often in our walk of life is that when something is promised to us, if it's from God or just whatever it might be, maybe it's a it's an aspiration that you have for your life, or whatever you, wherever you think you're going, okay? A lot of times in our minds, we think that the pathway to getting there ought to be a straight line. That it ought to be from point A to point B with no deviation, right? With no scenic out, uh, outlooks or anything like that. And the last thing in the world that we look at and we say that the pathway to getting there would be like this. And yet, that is probably almost universally how we get from point A to point B, is that we have all of these um, detours, if you will, that take us there, and they're very unexpected. And most of the time when they happen, they are not welcome, right? Because in, in my view, in our view, we're thinking, okay, how I think it ought to be is that the promise is given to me, the dream is given to me, and then it won't take very long, and I will be ready to receive whatever it is that, the, that holds for me in terms of the culmination of that promise. Does that resonate with you at all? Okay, so as we think about this with respect to Joseph, he had that dream. He was probably, let's just say he was 14. Well, we don't really know He probably was snotty enough to where 14 would fit, right? Okay, so we would just say, he goes to his brothers and he says, Hey, let me tell you, this dream that God gave me and it's going to be so fantastic because you're going to be bound down to me, right? (laughs) Like any little brother would would really want. And like nothing any older brother would ever want to hear, right? So he's thinking, it's any day now that you're gonna be bound down to me, right? Any day now, that promise is gonna happen, that promise is gonna come true. And what we've been reading in our story in this part of Genesis, is that it's been anything but that, right? So one of the things that struck me is this, this is so weird, These things strike me when we are in worship before I get here. And sometimes it's when I'm reading the scripture in front of you, and that's what happened today. It's like Holy Spirit or just my mind wandering, not sure which one it is. Right? But where it is, if you have your bulletin with you, as I do, in First Peter 1, 3 to 9, where he's talking about this part. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. You know that that one? Yeah, that's my favorite one. Okay, so here's the, the word that jumped out at me. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith... May be found to result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Jesus. Okay, the, the word that I had never seen before in 40 years of reading this. So <laughs> okay, how oblivious I am to things is. Are the words if necessary? Now who gets to decide if it's necessary that I would have to go through this instead of this? Who gets to decide that? Because clearly, I don't get to decide that. Because if I get to decide it, I would say, this is unnecessary. Correct? Because I can just as easily handle whatever it is that goes along with the culmination of the promise. I'm ready for it. I'm as mature as I need to be and I am as strong in my faith as I need to be that I can handle whatever comes with this in addition to the blessings that come with it. And this is what we've talked about a lot in Genesis with respect to the covenant promises, is that always with the covenant promises, there were two parts to it. There were the blessings of it and there were the responsibilities of it. It's like the inheritance thing, the birthright thing. Remember with, with Jacob and Esau, right? With, with with the blessings came oh, fame and fortune, riches, okay oh, you can, food on the table all the time. You can you you you're gonna have, your life will be set, right? But what with it? What, but what came with it was what responsibility. You get all the privilege, but what goes with the privilege is the responsibility of stewardship in terms of how you're going to handle it, how you're going to manage it, and how you're not going to lose yourself in the process of being the beneficiary of all those blessings that you get. So it's, it's the blessing and it's the responsibility that goes with it. And so the same thing here. We can imagine that the 14-year-old get it, seeing this promise saying, oh, how great that's gonna be. Those brothers of mine aren't gonna be bossing me around anymore. (laughs) By golly, I'm gonna be bossing them around. I mean, you can imagine how how the blessing of that would have occurred to him, and he would have relished that. But what with it comes, the stewardship of responsibility. That what comes with it is, what are you gonna do with it? And how are you gonna make sure that what you've received in the form of a blessing you turn around and be a blessing with that to somebody else. And don't lose yourself or even your salvation in the process of the it. So that's what jumped off the page at me today was that, um, and let's see, did it happen during the sermon? <laughs> Sometimes those uh, sermons, they inspire me. <laughs> And my mind goes off into inspiration. Yes. So is it necessary? Apparently so. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Because if what is necessary in various trials includes loss, oh, brother, you really want to go through it. Would you really choose it if you had a choice?
1: The answer is no, no,
0: Because loss involves pain, loss involves pain. Uh, of something being amiss, loss involves change. Loss involves me having to move out of what I have cherished most of my life and, frankly, gotten used to it, to that which I lose, that which I cherish, and, uh, and now I'm not used to the new thing. Okay. So I, I kind of put that up there for us today to sort of think about that with respect to Joseph, because now... Some time has passed, and I'm not—I've kind of lost track of how much time. This says two years, but that's just two years from the time when the cupbearer and the uh, the baker, you know, they had their little gig. And so, remember what was the last thing that Joseph said to the cupbearer? He said, "You know, when things are going great for you, hey, don't forget what me. You don't forget me." And he goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, I won't forget you. Don't worry about it." And then he probably went off and left. Forgotten. Okay. So for two years, Joseph is thinking about, and it's finally hitting him, and we saw that in the, in the chapter, what well, we read last week, is that he's finally kind of had it up to here, right? He, he's finally said, I'm here and I don't even deserve to be here, right? He suffered the injustice of it, the false accusation. He had, you know, all of that stuff. And and yet, he's doing his job. He's, he's, he's stepping up. He's not. You know, just rolling up in a little little position and saying, life is so unfair, I'm not doing anything. He didn't do any of that, right? But he's sick of it. He's tired of it, all right? So we'll use this as we think about our reading for today. All right, Uh, verses 1 to uh, 17. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river up came seven cows, sleek and fat. And they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second group. The seven grains of the seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted thin and scorched by the east wind. The, the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. Imagine that kind of dream. I've never had a dream. Like that kind of dream. Right? Maybe, maybe you have. I don't know. Alright, so the, again, going back to this idea of two full years had passed. Alright, so if, if we sort of step back from what's happening in the story and sort of ask ourselves the question, in what way is Joseph being prepared? Now, we know what's going to happen. I mean, we, we've read the story many times, so we know what's going to happen. But I'd, I'd just like for you to think in terms of the idea of, of that God uses uh, events in our lives that we don't choose. He uses those to develop us in some way. And that's the sense that we get here with Joseph, right? Is that God is preparing him for whatever is the next thing. But in Joseph's defense, he didn't know what the next thing would be. In our defense, we do not know what the next thing will be. When do we finally know what the next thing will be is? When it happens. See, we're not necessarily blessed with foreknowledge of things in terms of, oh, yeah, I saw I could see this happening, right? Now, a lot of us will say that, right? We can say, Brian, don't we? We will say, well, I saw this coming, right? We say that, yeah. And then, of course, whoever's with us says, well, then, well, what's the next thing, right? And then we don't have anything to say about that, all right? So, again, it's this idea that God is moving things behind the scenes. And you think, gosh, why did he need two years? That's the thing that just has sort of stuck with me and is bugging me just a little bit. Maybe we'll get the answer here. All right, verse eight. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, "Today I am reminded of my shortcomings." Oh, what a dumb thing! Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief banker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. <laughs> why, it, why was it important, And we talked about this last time, why was it important for Joseph to not mince words when it came to the interpretation of the dreams that were given to each man? Why was it important for him to not fudge on the truth but to give the truth as God gave it to him in terms of that interpretation. It was going to come true, and so that's a link here to this, right? Because the idea here is that what what the cupbearer is saying is that if you want to know the interpretation of the dreams, Pharaoh then you got to be prepared for whatever it is that it's going to say to you because it's coming from God. And Joseph is not going to be one to sugarcoat it in such a way that he's going to say to you what you think you want to hear versus what it is that God is saying to you. That's a hard thing, to be in a position of thus saith the Lord. And that when you're the one who has to deliver that message to somebody who may or may not want to hear thus saith the Lord, or at least hear what it has to say if it's perceived as bad news, right? You know, maybe this has happened to you before. Maybe it's happened in the workplace because this is kind of where it would probably happen mostly. Is have you ever asked somebody for feedback? And you said to them, now tell me the truth. Don't don't mince words. I really need this feedback because, you know, I can function so much better if you just tell me how I'm coming across to you. And so then they did. (laughs) And then how did you react when they told you the truth of yourself and how you are coming across to other people that you work with or work for or you're married to or whatever it might be, okay? How did you react? You only asked it once. That must be in the heck of a feedback section. <laughs> and Darren, what did you say? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You know, there's some people that were a little terrified of asking, you know, kind of thing. I uh, I once challenged somebody, I was doing some couples work, and I once challenged somebody to go to his wife. It was a guy, and so go to your wife and ask her to give you feedback on what it's like being married to you.
1: Oh, oh, oh no.
0: They never showed up again that <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, So I thought
0: that was a brilliant thing. You know, but that's, but see, and so in the case of Pharaoh, see, this is double jeopardy here. Because Pharaoh had the power to do what? If he didn't like what he heard. I mean, to some degree, that already had occurred in terms of whatever the offense was that the cupbearer and the baker had, way back two years before, had uh, had offended Pharaoh. And and these guys were notorious for being quite sensitive, you know. They'll throw you in jail. They'll kill you. They'll take your possessions. They'll throw your family into prison. I mean, and because Pharaoh himself was, was viewed as divine, he was a god in the minds of the uh, Egyptians, well then... He's got all the power. And so you think about the courage that it would have taken for Joseph and the faith it would have taken for Joseph to say, okay, but this is coming from God, not for me. You know? That that is still not without it's uh, not without some risk or some threat to the person who's delivering that. Now we could say that today, there's still a lot of that today, maybe not life or death, right? But I think sometimes we are hesitant to give the whole counsel of God. We just want to give the gushy parts. You know, the the part where we can go up to him and say, put an arm around them like this, and say, oh, I love you, I love you. And so that sort of stuff, right? And that's important to do that, that's good stuff. But what about the other stuff? What about the law stuff? What about the you say, you die part? What about that stuff? And, and we're hesitant sometimes to to make that part of our messaging as we speak to the world, We're hesitant to call sin, sin, because of the blowback that I assure you we're going to get. And we're not always prepared to deal with it. And so then we kind of say, well, um, if you have some thoughts about that, just call the pastor.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and if you call me, I'll say, if you have some thoughts about that, talk to Pastor Coleman. That's what i Because <laughs> we get a lot of questions that way. All right. So, so the cupbearer he all of a sudden the amnesia goes away. And he says, "Oh, this reminds me two years later." All right? So, let's see what happened. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Now, who is the he? Because you can go two ways on that. God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Who's the he? God. Who is the he? I, I, I didn't know. I think it's God, but I don't know. Because Hebrew is not capitalized. There's no to It
1: turns out not to be really what
0: Pharaoh wants. Well, maybe it would be what Pharaoh needed. I don't need it. Maybe that's different than wants, okay? Particularly because the famine was coming. Right? I mean, that was the reality. Famine, famine was coming. It was going to come whether he... Thought it would, whether he felt like it would, whether he dreamed it—I mean, it didn't matter. It was coming. Kind of. And so the question would be: What if it was God? If the if the He is God, okay, what was the benefit of that? What was what? See what what's God's plan all along here? What's the bigger picture? Save His people. Save His people because. He knows that this is not going to be just a lo- it's, not, it's not a local famine. This is what we learn later is that this is like super regional. This is like the whole area, Canaan, and every everybody was affected by this famine. So knowing that was going to happen, God says, "I have to have a way to preserve my people because in my people is the covenant." So the bigger thing is preserving the covenant, but it's located in in uh, in, in Israel. So Israel, that's Jacob's new name, that's, the, that's the, the, the movement that needed to happen. But the only way it was going to happen is if something really bad was happening worldwide, except where Egypt would have resources, okay? So God's got this, God's got this bigger thing going on that they're not necessarily aware of. And so Joseph is saying, okay, I can do this, but it's not coming from me, it's coming from God. And so now Pharaoh's going to have to deal with whatever comes from God. Now, there's an irony in this because Pharaoh believed that he himself was God. So he's learning that there must be a hierarchy in the it of God, and then God's, you know. Um, and sometimes you don't know that until you come, uh, come up with or come up from face to face with something you can't control. And when you can't control it, then you realize, hmm, I guess I'm not... As big a god as I thought it was. Okay? Verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly. He's adding some extra details in this, right? <laughs> Which happens a lot. I had never seen such ugly cl- cows in all the land of Egypt. So he's doing, you know, he's doing a little embellishing. Have you ever done this before? Yeah. Somebody, you know, you start thinking that what, the version that you received was kind of lame and really not as, as interesting as the version that you're telling. Of course, this is, this is how we do it. The lean, ugly cows ate up to seven fat cows that came first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as me. <laughs> I don't
2: know why this cracks me up, but it just does. It's, it's hilarious. Then I
0: woke up, Right? In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin, and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Why not? Why not? Well, maybe there would be the motive of not doing it, right? But that's not what it says. It says none of them could. They couldn't. The explanation of it was they were blind to it. And I'm just asking, how come? Oh, awesome. yeah well, if, if this may be
1: God's way of reaching to Pharaoh
0: saying no you're not really God and so those dreams were really God well the only person interpreted them was God yeah. so if God was trying to reach out to him saying hey you need to listen he's gonna go to somebody that obviously worships and loves God so be- because the magicians were all about the worship of the Egyptian gods, the false gods. They weren't about the worship of God. So so the language of God would have been foreign to them, and the um, uh, appreciation for what would have come to them in the form of God, they would have claimed for their own God. Because they would not, They, like would, like they like, would have said, oh, ISIS or Osiris." isis They would not have said
1: you know, mm-hmm. God, when he was talking to us, he talked to them in parables as they could understand. Right. Well, this turns out to be about the famine, which obviously Pharaoh could understand. So yeah, his probably. dreams were in his language. Yeah, they
0: were. Yeah. And they included the Nile, which was its own God. So yeah. Notice that Joseph, his first word, when the king says, can you do it? He says, I cannot. I cannot interpret your dream." Right. He was speaking the truth. Yeah. And the wise men of Egypt could not either. Right. But they didn't say, but God will give you the interpretation. So, so it,
2: the key difference there between the big picture Jesus. of it
0: is the the battle of the divines here. You know, who whose God is supreme? Whose God is the one who, at the end of the day, is true God? And that was the undercurrent aspect of this with the uh, with the magicians. So to to sort of get a sense of that, that God has his own language. God has his own um, his own way of doing things, and, and he's gonna do that whether we're on board with it or not, but it's a blessing to us if we are on board with it. But sometimes we get caught up in the idea of the voices that we listen to. We hear many voices today. I'm not saying that we're multiple percent, I'm not But what I'm saying is, is that the voices of the world that's around us are encroaching on us constantly through social media, through the news, through conversations you have with people, the direction that the world is going in the weird stuff that we're now being exposed to. And so what happens is, is that it's easy for the voice of God to get drowned out, partly because, and this is on us, is that we're not exposing ourselves to it nearly as much as we are what goes on in the world. If you think of it, just the ratio of time that you spend in the Word versus time that you spend with everything else. What's the ratio? Anybody want to confess that? It <laughs> got quiet all of a sudden, so we hit a nerve on that one. Yeah, it—it yeah. it, probably we're lucky if it's one minute in the Word versus 60 minutes with everything else. And yeah, we can say, well, the Word is strong and the Word is, the word is powerful, and sure is. But if I'm not exposing myself enough to those the messaging of the Word, then what happens over time is hope gets eroded. Don't kill it; it gets eroded. And so there's there's good a, a good point being made in terms of the idea of staying in the Word, staying in the Word, staying in the Word. Because at the end of the day, that's God's truth, and God's truth and God's wisdom way blows away anything that we would say in terms of what goes on in the world so i I want to take you back to that verse those verses i printed up in first corinthians one it's back on uh, the previous page because this is a good example of the way that god works and the way that god brings about blessings in our lives is it turns the world upside down if the, the thinking of the world says well this doesn't make any sense and we would say you're correct it doesn't but when you walk by faith not by sight you're not as um, worried about whether you understand it or not what you do is believe it okay let's look at First uh, Corinthians 1 he says for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligent, in, intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Here's the key verse. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So see, even Paul in the New Testament was reiterating that what we're seeing here in, in, in Genesis is that these magicians—it's not just like guys that did magic tricks. I mean, it isn't like that. These are learned people. These people had had uh, advanced degrees. They were—they were, you know, the people that we would say, you know, I'm—if I'm, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to be taught by those guys. That—that's the kind of thing this was, right? And yet. With all of their wisdom, what they were lacking was the key. The key was belief and trust in Yahweh as the only God. That's what was missing. And when you're missing the key, then you can go on and on about how all the fluff is around the dream. Oh, well, we think it might have meant this. And, you know, we did a little focus group, and we checked with people. And they said that they think that this is what that meant. And it didn't pass much. So now Pharaoh's left with, who am I going to talk to? I'm going to talk to Joseph. Because I've heard from the cupbearer. And he is the living witness of this. It's a good thing the cupbearer was there that day, you know? If he had had a day off that day, this whole thing would have been missed and Joseph would be there longer than two years. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Now, notice the, the, the language. He's not revealing to me what it is that he's about to do, but he's revealing to you, Pharaoh, what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one insane dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. These are the seven years of famine. Verse 28. It is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming through the land of Egypt. The seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Isn't that interesting? So in some sense of it, you know, in, in the legalities of, I'm, I'm assuming Egyptian courts, but this was also true in Israel as well, is that in order for something to be deemed true, you needed two witnesses. Remember that? And that's the sense here, is that one dream would have been easy to say, oh, I had I ate too much pizza the night before, and, you know, <laughs> then that was a bad dream. I mean, it would be easy to do that, right? But when you have two dreams that are saying the same thing, that would have been the confirmation, each dream confirming the other, in the form of the witnesses to that. So this were, that was a validated thing in terms of, uh, of how he's saying that. So now verse 33. This is very little what Joseph says. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt, so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom this is the spirit of God. Now, Pharaoh, now, is he a believer in God? (laughs) <laughs> he's not a believer, right? He doesn't trust as as Savior and Lord, but he's acknowledging, right, that there is a God here. Elohim would have been the word that he used. There is a God here who is bigger than me. That is quite an admission. Yeah. Thoughts? <laughs>
1: They had a lot of different gods, yeah.
0: What's one more? What's one more, yeah. You know, that's kind of the attitude of the world today, isn't it? Hey, let's be inclusive of all gods, and then that way we have all our bases covered, right? So that way if, if you miss out on one god, then you can just like turn to the other one. Or if one of them is busy, you know, then you can go to the other one. And that way you don't ever have to worry that you don't have coverage, right? It makes perfect sense to me. It's like an insurance umbrella plan. Right? It's just like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an awesome thing. That's an awesome thing. So, so what's interesting to me about in verse 33 and following is that Joseph is writing his own job description. Right? He, and he's doing it in a very, very casual way. He's not about to tell Pharaoh what to do. Right? You're not going to do that because, again, Pharaoh is the one in charge, and you just don't go to somebody and say, here's what you need to do. Don't you love it when somebody does that? When they say, here's what you need to do. I hate that, so please don't ever do that to me. I, I hear enough of that in my life. I don't need any more of that from you guys, all right? But if you say, now, you know, what do you think about? And let the person do this who's in charge. And let him set it up this way. See, this is like the perfect way to do it. Joseph is excellent. So, verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you This is just sweet. So you shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And the people shouted before him, make way. And thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Okay, so let's go back to our chart here. Okay, where is Joseph in the process of getting to the culmination of the promise? That was given to him with him and his brothers. Where where would you put the X to mark his, you know, where where he's gone and where he is? Is he beyond the big dip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what would be what would what what would have been the big dip? Because we know he was there. I'm just asking you what would that uh, have been the sign of his being there? Maybe when he was in prison? Potiphar and that whole thing. So, so he, he's in prison. Okay. He's incarcerated, right? And then and then some things happened while he was in prison that would have even been worse. What was worse than being in prison? Being forgotten in prison. Remember? Because that's what happened after the, uh, the cupbearer said... That he, did, he didn't remember it, and then he forgot him. So that's like being forsaken. It's not even like, oh, I forgot. It's like, you don't exist. It's like that. And Joseph knew it. So it wasn't like he was like uh, ignorant of that. He knew it. And so the possibility, and this always happens when people go on the dip, if it turns into a depression, is there's like a spiraling down. That's what happens. Okay? And so, and yet, what didn't happen, but as I said before, he didn't just crater. He didn't just say, okay, that's it, I'm done. I'm not even going to do anything. Just kill me, whatever. He didn't didn't do it. And he didn't take his own life either, which is kind of interesting. Because humanly speaking, there would have been some thought there that things are so hopeless and things are so dire and they're never going to change. It's never going to be different than the way it is now, right? is that that could have been a motivation for him to take his own life, but he didn't do that, right? So he is he's probably up here somewhere. There's Joseph. He's up here somewhere. And so what do you make of all the decorations that Pharaoh uh, gave to him? Like all this different stuff, you know, because think about what he was wearing in prison. Remember? And when they dressed him up to get him ready, for they shaved him. So he probably, like, had a long... Like ZZ Top beard or something, <laughs> like that, you know? something like that. You probably did, and and nobody would have thought anything about it because that's what you wear in prison, right? You're not you, you're not thinking about stuff. And so he's all dressed up now. But so why would Pharaoh have done all that extra with the uh, uh, the gold chain and the sign- signet finger? I mean the ring and all that. Why would he do that? <clears throat> yeah, because there needed to be some uh, visible, tangible expressions of the new position that he is in now, okay? But now think about it again from that perspective of blessings and responsibility. Now the responsibility is really hitting him because now he's got what? He's got the authority, which is a wonderful privilege to have. It's so wonderful to have authority. But with the authority comes what? Responsibility Responsibility of stewardship is how will you be the steward of the responsibility I'm now giving to you? And in some way, he's already written not only his own job description, but also his own performance review.
1: This is how
0: you're going to know that I'm doing my job is what? Is the success we have in doing what? In pulling uh, the grain in, right, the, the resources in and storing them up in a way that actually works, and then it'll be available when the famine comes. That's how we're gonna know. So he's already laying out the sort of, not just what his job is, but also how we're gonna be able to measure the success or the failure of his job. So that's kind of an interesting aspect as well. Okay, anything else on that page that jumps off at you? Again, he uses the word God Pharaoh is at least acknowledging the existence of another God who's got a bigger thing going on here. Yeah, Carl.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that he, uh, when he tells Pharaoh what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. He says you need to find someone to run all this. Thing. Yeah. If he left it just at that, he would have mm-hmm. been said, Pharaoh, you're not capable of it. <laughs> but instead, he said, but you're still in charge. Yeah. You know, you're the one that has to make the final decision. That's a good Someone point. has to yeah, help you do that. Yeah, that's so, a great. Point. And I was looking at your chart, and I was yeah. thinking about Pharaoh's <laughs> ran the, the was Pharaoh ran the red line. He was born again. Pharaoh ran the red line. He was born into his position. Yeah. He was arrogant and without experience. That's right. Whereas Joseph was thrown into uh, an area where he had to... Experienced these downfalls and upturns, yeah, and lost his arrogance in the process. Yeah, because the, the aspect of Joseph's
0: arrogance was at least inferred by what happened in the story. Yeah, that he didn't have humility. No, Not, and and yet what's happened transformatively for him is that now he has got some humility. He's he's saying well, and and notice he hasn't yet. Linked um, his dream with his brothers to his brothers. The culmination of that has not happened yet, so that's why he's kind of where he is in the in the pathway. Because the culmination of that dream is going to happen when the brothers come. Oh, did I spill the beans on that story? <laughs> did that all the time. Um, it, but that that's what that's going to be. And then when that happens, there's this beautiful moment. Well, I'm not going to spill news on that. A beautiful moment of his perspective.
2: Yeah, very, very point.
0: Yeah, Eddie.
1: I feel somehow that Pharaoh uh, was overdoing this a little bit because he put Joseph in charge of his palace. Yeah. And also the whole, land. Yes. And so it's not that he put him in charge of agriculture or whatever... Yeah, like the, the Department of agriculture. of agriculture. Yeah, that's right. But I mean, isn't all army and all mm-hmm. universities or yeah. aids, yeah. aids that I That's I mean, a great yeah. point. Yeah. You know, I, I, so I don't know.
0: What do you think that he? I mean, you said he's kind of overdoing it, but do you think that you know it is also that when you trust somebody, then you're probably going to go the extra mile in terms of what you put Them in charge of and yeah. I don't know if that are you thinking that way.
1: Well, what I mean is that uh, Faho passed to the general, yeah, but he passed to the general with the arm, but yes, you the other aspects of yes. the life in Egypt, right? So maybe he, he must have been very really frightened by it. Yeah.
0: yeah, I'm thinking here, I think you're, I love the way you're thinking on that because I wonder if there was also there could have been the temptation. That Joseph's in charge of everything, but he's this Hebrew guy, right? And, uh, and and maybe there would have been some thinking among the family of the palace uh, people of Pharaoh is that well, you, we don't answer you. So there would have been a natural undermining of his authority, where he would have authority over everybody else, but oh, but the family, you know, family has a little extra perks that go with it. Family has a little extra extra uh, goodie that they get. That nobody else gets, and so maybe that was part of it too. But at any rate, Joseph is second in command. He, he, he now becomes the one who speaks for Pharaoh in everything except in matters of what would involve the throne. Yes, ma'am. So I'm thinking about this, but it's interesting. You see parallels between Joseph and his interactions with Pharaoh. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, later. Just like with Israel, they passed out. It was just brought up there, Oh, he's second, mentality, kind of made in, even though he saved him. And mm-hmm. they kept that yeah. with Moses and Pharaoh. Well, right. he brought up there, but then also when he comes back, I mean, the hardening of the heart. Sure. Uh, you can't
2: either have the sandfield
1: without them for him. sure. Now
0: all of a sudden, you're going to take away. Yeah, the difference of what happens later with Moses is that the Bible says that the Egyptians had forgotten Joseph. They had forgotten, and apparently nobody reminded them. You know, I mean, and that can happen, doesn't it? If we don't repeat the stories again and again, people go, oh, "I've already heard that a million times. I don't need to hear that." And so then we go, "Okay." And so then, after enough time passes, nobody remembers the story, <coughs> and then that becomes part of God's story too. Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah a lot about, of, about I about know. Yeah, that's right. You know, it would have been very tempting for Joseph to show up at Potiphar's house. Yeah. Right? And just go, hum, 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 hum. you know, wouldn't that be, I mean, wouldn't he want to do that? That would be just so great. And then go and just kind of flash the ring a little bit, you know, and then just kind of say, hey, hey Potiphar, I'm thirsty. Would you go get me something to drink, you know? I mean, how great that would have been, just... But again, think about this again from this point of view is that what has happened for Joseph at this point is the humility is now taking place of here. And that probably would have um, informed him, it probably would have directed him that even if he had gone to Potiphar's
2: house, which he probably did
0: but if, if, if he had, he would have treated it in a merciful way, right?
2: Yeah. Steve? I'm struck by the timing. You know, uh, your are drawing on the left-hand side how yeah. quickly things go into brothers, yeah. Potiphar. I mean, yeah. but maybe the drawing on the other side needs to be a little steeper before it gets to the culmination because he comes out of prison, cleaned up, shaved, in front of Potiphar, or in front of Barrow. He shares some the things. There's not a lot of timing discussion there, but it seems like from old whole lot of prison, shaved, clean, interpretation, Rings going on, gowns, and we are now right. being presented in front of right. Egypt. His okay. ascension, so yeah. to speak, is very quick. Yeah. It doesn't look like he went back into prison for a couple of days. Potiphar or Pharaoh thought about it. And, okay, let's get that Joseph guy back here. It seemed to be very quick.
0: So you're wanting to make corrections in my grammar? Okay?
2: Is that what you're
0: saying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm an educator. You're an right educator, there. and apparently a certain kind of educator that <laughs> is more literal, and uh, that can. By the way, do you all know Steve? You know. Yeah. You, you better
2: introduce yourself. You introduce myself. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, I'm Steve Egle. I'm uh, head of school at Dallas Lutheran. Yeah. He's oh. a.
0: So see, all of a sudden the elevation of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> I feel lighter on
2: the <laughs> 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 <I> feet. <laughs> just a little. Back when we were over in Egypt last year, they took okay. us to the place where Joseph Oh, the really? There's a temple at Joseph and Joshua where the first step pyramid is, mm-hmm. and he built it. a doorway in a wall, a city wall, mm-hmm. a fortress wall, oh, so right. no one gets storm it. And he went into that down a corridor.
0: And there are uh, little rooms on each side, tenets, uh-huh. yeah. where the people would come in and sign in their names and get their allotment of wheat. Really? Uh, and wow. they told us that it may be that Joseph's name became I'm Hotel. Hotep was yeah. the second commander command the Pharaoh at
2: that time, mm-hmm. and that was fascinating. So he may have taken on an Egyptian
0: name. Well, in fact, here we'll, if we ever actually get you back on our reading, is that he does get a he gets a new name. Yeah, he so. does get a new name. Now it's a little different than the name that you quoted, but you know, uh, some things get, sometimes get lost in translation. So we better we better finish this. All right, let's do that. So uh, let's see, where are we? Oh, yeah. So verse forty-four. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphethnath-Paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, which is sort of like Potiphar, <laughs> But this is a priest, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. That gives us a time frame. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure, a man after my own heart. <laughs> Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenach, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. See, so he married a PK. Yeah, so that is it. you just need to know that. Okay. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, "It is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household." The second son he named Ephraim, and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. So if this was a soap opera, right then at that moment, the organ would have played, right? Because that sets the stage for what? What happens next week, same time, same station. All right, so we pick it up next week, and let's close ourselves with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the story of Joseph and the way that it speaks to us today. As we think about the, the struggles sometimes we have, the... The necessary trials, as Peter talked about in the reading this morning, that they're necessary, Lord. It's part of our growth and it's part of our development, it's part of our faith, it's part of all those things. Even though we think that it's not necessary, Lord, help us to trust that your picture of things is better than our picture. Lord, there's so much that goes on in our world around us that would draw us away from your promises and draw us away from your voice. So help us this week, dear Lord, to redevote ourselves to spending more time with you in prayer and in the word, and that as you speak to us, we learn to hear you and discern your voice above all others. Watch over us this week, dear Lord, until we're together again, and we pray that in this moment.
1: Amen.